guys. Welcome to a new episode of RevOps and ABM Alignment. Hello, Jesse. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on, man? Great to chat oh, with you. Jesse Olette, French name, right? Yep. How, how do we pronounce it? Uh, Olette, yep. Olette, okay. And Jesse is the American name, right? Yep. Yep. Great. So where are you joining us from, Jesse? Uh, I'm in Boston. Boston, Massachusetts here, you know? Sunny, nice day out. Probably going to take the rest of the afternoon off after this one. So the Hopspot City, right? Yep. That's how, uh, that's how Boston is known in our world, you know? Yep. What we is uh, Boston actually famous for? Like the, the number one thing that Boston is famous You know, the tea party, the Boston Tea Party, right? Like we threw all the coffee right over the, the – uh, <laughs> we didn't want to pay the taxes anymore, you know, the SAS taxes, big SAS taxes that they were out there. We don't want to pay those taxes anymore, so we threw all the coffee right overboard. We just tossed it right in the uh, – that was it, man. That was the big, that was the big pirate ship moment. If you got my drift. <laughs> so, guys, uh, today we will uh, geek a little bit about data, about email outreach, and about uh, go to markets. Because Jesse, it's uh, one of the gurus out there that um, rants against gurus. Actually, the captain <laughs> of gurus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and um, Jesse. And um, the whole uh, data and, and email outreach is something that, um, I mean, I learned a lot from you, man. Like, really, I learned a lot from you from the communities, from Pavilion and from the communities that you made on WhatsApp and all the communities that uh, you did with the sales communities. And uh, you are one of those guys that uh, opened my eye to all this techie part of, uh, of email and, and how important uh, setting up the right uh, technology when it comes to email outreach uh, before, you know, spending a lot of money on copy and spending a lot of money on personalization and so on. And you are one of the guys that uh, opened my eyes also regarding personalization because we all thought that we need to do a lot of work um, before doing the email outreach and personalization, but actually um, there are a bunch of data um, companies out there that, and and one of them is also your company, like Lead Magic, uh, that can help us with that. So, for the listeners, small introduction. Tell us a bit about yourself and how did you end up in this world of SaaS, yeah. world of go-to-market and email outreach? Yeah, definitely. So I think um, my background. So my background was uh, spent 15 years as a sales enter- enterprise sales rep. I always really liked the RevOps side of it. The mm. problem was I never really felt the RevOps teams were really, you know, as much as people want to talk about it. Usually they were just glorified sales ops people, from what I saw. So I never could get them, you know, like I always, it, it never was like a lever, right? When I was doing it now, this, this may have changed. I, I still don't think it has, but it's a lot of sales ops people who kind of say they're rev ops now. Uh, and what I felt yeah, was, exactly. you know, when I saw the checks that the salespeople were getting, I was like, all right, I'm going to stay in sales. Right. So that's where I stayed and every, everything went fine there. I did very well. You know, I was covering the top accounts. I, you know, also went to like, um, did some, I did the frontline leadership part for a while and that. But then I was like, you know what? I don't like it when they move the goalposts, the quota, the quotas around, they play the games, you know, they, they get into, they get into your, you know, your quota, your W2, they start moving it around. We all see the games they play, right? You know, now you're, now you're not an accelerators. Ha ha ha. We got you like, you know, <laughs> but I wanted to change that. And the way that I changed that was I was able, you know, I built my own company and, that's what I did. So that, that was how I changed it. And everyone can do that, right? It's a little bit of a risk, of course, um, but you can change your, your trajectory that way. So I had to figure out how to pivot the W2 over to the, you know, uh, building your own corp and, and all of that. And, and I was able to do that and figure that out a little bit. And, you know, I knew SaaS was one of the ways to go, but obviously you have to do some consulting in there unless you go raise a bunch of money. I could have raised the money, but I didn't really want to take all of the other stuff 
along with it. Plus, I think all sales in MarTech can be copied very quickly. So I didn't want to go there too fast. I didn't want to go to the, the VCs and cry for the money yet. So you dive deep into this whole email outreach, right? Like you yep. you really, really know that. Give us like, um, like top things you learned and top things that you consult your clients when it comes to email outreach. Yeah, definitely. So I think the top thing is right now you're probably, you don't know it if you're sitting there and you're using, you know, your, your classic outreach, HubSpot, sales loft, and you're doing it on one domain name, you're probably getting shadow banned right now. And you just don't know it. And what I mean by that is you're sending emails. It feels good. You're going to get this thing. Probably most of the platforms have this little stack called delivered or whatever, right? Which is meaningless, right? It means nothing, absolutely nothing. And it's usually it sits around 99%, right? And everyone's like, oh, we're great. We're, we're 99%. doesn't matter. You're not. What, what, what it really means is you're sending emails. They're probably landing in spam. There's a new concept called inboxing and you don't know this. It's actually on the other side that you would know this. So the only person who knows this is the person who actually the email went to. And mm-hmm. this is where the, the, the science of this comes, right? You have to maintain this health score. Now the health score can be really tough, especially on a startup organization that has, you know, let's say they have 50 people in their organization and they have an inbox system. They're using like a one domain system and they're sending it out and the reputation is held at that domain name. Now, if they get reported as spam a few times in a day, which inevitably is going to happen on any cold outreach or anybody you don't know, everyone's going to report it as spam. There's a lot or there's a lot of people that will, depending on how bad, how aggressive, you know, all the other little factors like that make it so that the person is is there, this is what you have to be thinking about is it's probably in spam if you're not seeing a reply rate. Because what we found is even bad emails, like we, we intentionally wrote bad emails, like against what all of the uh, people would tell you to put in the emails, just to see how bad actually these emails go into spam, right? And what you find is the bad ones get just as high of a response rate over reply as the good ones. So you're like, it's the same thing. So it really doesn't matter. So that was our experiment. And we, when we did it, we found it, it was like, kind of like, whoa. So every one of these ones that we're not doing it on, every one of the ones that we're not seeing the reply rights, that means there's something really wrong. And that means you're probably going into the folder, which Google calls spam and Microsoft calls junk. Those are the two folders. And they have their own definition for those. It's not published anywhere. It's whatever they want to do. And it's whatever their users are sort of pushing and their, you know, their business decides on. So that's what you have to really understand is that you're probably in spam now, right? And you're probably not realizing this at this point. So how do we fix that? Like, how do we fix this? So what's happening now is what we're finding is a lot of the tactics you have to employ are, you know, you have your, you have your sort of like your regular tactics, right? The ones that everyone's doing. And then you have sort of some gray hat tactics, which are more like, all right, this is probably a little bit of a violation of the terms and services or something along those lines. And then you have your black hat tactics, which are the ones that are probably not really good for your business and probably... would be great to give us examples like what is... So what a gray hat tactic might be is, all right, so if I want to go send some emails, we all know that the... I mean, there's nobody who's going to argue me with, well, most likely, but is that the, the reputation is is scored at the IP level and the domain level. Right. Mm. And the IP mm. level is going to be the same if you're using Google or Microsoft. Right. You're at the same level. Now, if we go into the if we actually go into the uh, the next the next part of it is um, you're going to say, well, if it's at the domain level and I know that that domain, I can only send 50 emails a day before it gets burned. And I get too high of a complaint rate, I'm going to have to go set up another domain name now. That's probably not the intended, that's probably more of a gray hat tactic, right? What I'm trying to tell you. So you're starting to think about like, hey, do we want to actually bring in these types of practices into our IT department? Is this something we should be doing ourselves? This is the conversation that starts to go on is like, you know, you talk to your IT team and they're like, well, we don't want to go set up a bunch of these domain names, these kind of burner domain names. And then that's Mm -hmm. when agencies start getting called. There's a lot of agencies now that are specialized in doing this, right? Now they're doing it in a way where they can do it faster and they can automate it. Um, and, and, you know, that's sort of where it's gone, right? So you have to kind of take into account, like, do we want to do that? Now, if it was just pure blackout, you'd probably be using um, 
I know there's some people out there that are doing like, they'll set up a bunch of Gmail accounts to do it, right? Gmail.com. So believe it or not, your personal email delivers at a very, very high reply rate. Um, oh, wow. Why is that? It's weird because gmail.com, the domain can't get blocked and the IPs can't get blocked. <laughs> so people are going to, will go set up like, now that's, that to me is like kind of overboard, right? That's like the black hat side of it, right? Like you probably don't want to go do that. And that's obviously Google doesn't want you to do that. You're violating the terms of their, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing that. Now setting up like five extra domain names so you don't get your main domain burned. I think that's probably acceptable. I think most companies would accept that as a, as a possible risk. Now, the only other part of it is you got to think about this new thing called, not new thing, it's been going on for a while, but email warm up. That's another part of it where you're essentially emailing people that are also sending cold emails to kind of gamify the uh, engagement rate of your emails. That's another area where it's like, okay, do we want to do this or not? Right. This is a, you know, it's a fairly gray hat tactic, right? Like it's something that you kind of have to make a decision. Are we going to email and co cooperate with a bunch of people who are sending emails for the purposes of just sending emails or, you know, that's another area that you have to sort of decide on, is this right for my business? Right. And that's another area. So, so, so this, let me challenge that a bit. Yep. I just saw a really cool post from Diana Ross from retention.com. She's the CRO at retention.com. And she was um, saying that they grew from 1 million to 10 million in ARR um, in 27 months uh, with full outreach. Like That was the, the main uh, go-to-market. But everything manual, right? Like they, they didn't use any type of... Um, sales engagement platform like Salesloft or Apollo or whatever, Outreach.io. And they did all of it with manual research. So they hired the companies, they hired companies, uh, uh, I think in Philippines, right? To research on all, the, they, are, they are in B2B SaaS for e-commerces. Uh, they have some, uh, they mainly work in this, uh, retention on customer lifetime value, right? So to increase the customer lifetime value of Shopify. Uh, and now they, they went into targeting B2B SaaS. But what they did is that they actually researched with, um, with that outsourced team, and then they did manual emails, not automated emails. Let's, let's uh, tell the audience a bit um, which one would work best for an ABM approach, right? And if you want to semi-automate or, or do this whole uh, sequences for an ABM approach, how is that different than a more mass approach? Or how can you scale such a um, GTM that um, it's really, really personalized and it's really to the point? Yeah, so... This is a, it's an interesting thing. It's actually funny right now because, uh, you know, I always, I remember when I was like, you know, earlier in my career, there was always like somebody in the room was like, oh, I'm just going to send these emails manually. Now it actually would probably help you. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. because email itself, if you send with an autumn, like not, not against the system that I, I use, right. Like it's not going to be better against that, but what, they're what what they're doing is so retention.com they have the um the pixel that can kind of identify the email the person mm -hmm. right i believe so they're they're able to send to that so if they're sending those one-off emails and doing that i think that's going to do pretty well over a manual process um unless they understand like real hardcore email delivery and stuff like that but it's kind of like the person who gets blocked on linkedin because they were using they had four vas logging in and instead they decided to put it on their own system with a proxy or something like that you know that that could be another area but yeah i, I think a lot of yeah i would not in that business i definitely would not recommend it um especially to like if they were going after I mean, for them, they were going after businesses, but I mean, if their customers were going after, they would have to be careful because if they started automating that, that's personal emails, there's like GDPR there, there's mm -hmm. a lot of other things. But manual can work where, um, I, I don't recommend it on email. I, I just, you know, the problem with email is yes, you might get that reply rate fixed. It's just, there's so many damn emails in your inbox that like, if you're like spending the time, I could see LinkedIn. Right. I think that manual process in LinkedIn could be a lot better. 
But I think for an email system, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're really just like, you, you know, there's already a hundred other emails in your inbox, right? You sort of have to get that email out there. Yeah, and but this I, is suppose, one- I suppose uh, the idea of manual email is not necessarily that you send it from your Gmail, but that you set up Apollo or SalesLoft like a task, right? Like you actually write the email. It's sent out from SalesLoft, but you're actually personalizing and sending it out rather yeah. than, you know, pushing it um, through through the automated uh, sequence, right? And one more thing for the listeners that I think you mentioned it in, in one of your posts that when you track the open rate or the click, click-through rate, that is a signal, like there is some kind of pixels that are injected in the email. So the receiver, like the, the, the email server, sees that and it can detect that it's a spam because it has that pixel, right? And this goes against all the, you know, possible uh, recommendation you get there because everybody will tell you, you need to measure everything, right? Like you need to measure. But to be honest, I don't fucking care how many people open my email I care about. Or to see. Yeah, I care about the reply. I don't need to see the replies. In no. the dashboard, I see it in my I, inbox. <laughs> yeah. So your first point uh, around, so in, in one thing I caught is you said they were using people in the Philippines or they were hiring there. So that's yeah, a key. A supposition, yeah. Yeah. So so I think you could scale it that way manually, right? I think you'd have a hard time doing it now with, a, with yeah. an audience in the U.S. Now, it's not that you couldn't tell your team to do it. It's that they probably wouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think telling an SDR in the US to like manually do that, like they're going to laugh at you. They're going to be like, I'm not doing that. Right. Like they just don't want to do it. It's like sort of a job that they would view as below them. Right. Like, and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's arrogant or what, but it is, it is what it is. Right. They're not, I just don't think you could hire somebody in this country to do it really like manually like that. Like, so, so, over- so yeah. So what's the actual um, solution then for an ABM approach? Right. And, and how can RevOps, uh, help actually these teams to, I don't know if ABM, but more like account-based approach, right? Where I'm finding a lot of success. So I, I am working with a lot of firms that are doing this sort of, they've really got their ABM game down really. And what I mean by that is that account-based model where I think mm-hmm. the biggest question is around that working with marketing and running the same sort of campaigns over the same people, right? Mm. So I think the, the ABM part comes in when it's, and, and you know, when obviously I did some um, delivery with Winning by Design as well and, and and some of that. And what we always found was there was always a disconnect between sales and marketing, right? And, and if you can get that aligned with the accounts and the audiences and uploading it, so what people will do is they'll say, all right, is it the same people that we're sending emails to that are we sending ads to, right? And that's really where it comes down to is like, are you actually doing that? Now on LinkedIn, uh, if you'd run programmatic ads on LinkedIn, it's very easy to screw that up. Like, in fact, you could go say like, hey, go run these ads to companies over 10,000. But what you don't understand is, it, you know, Amazon has, you know, 230,000 employees on LinkedIn, I believe, or something like that. So you might actually end up spending your entire ad budget on just Amazon employees, right? And it might not mm-hmm. even mean you're, I mean, who, Amazon's competing against everybody. I mean, who is, who, who's targeting them, right? Like yeah. who's selling to them? So there's a whole like, that's where I think a lot of the problems are is they're, they're targeting. So I think the manual side of it could work better on email. I would still challenge that. I just don't see teams doing very well at manual. I think LinkedIn, if they're going to do it, you know, do it on LinkedIn because it's going to email, the email side of it is just going to be like, you're going to just such a high probability of going into spam. And especially at these bigger accounts, so one of the things we found recently is, so we'll, we scanned all of the Fortune 500 companies, uh, like which email services they use. So mm-hmm. generally speaking, you want to you, you want to go after um, the provider with the same email provider that you're using. Most of these uh, ones have so, made... So Gmail to Gmail or what? Yeah, Gmail to Gmail and Office uh-huh. to Office. But most of them are using like Proofpoint or like Mimecast. They've made like huge investments in these other alternative like fortune type security products and you know we're finding that probably microsoft office is better Mm. to deliver 
the Fortune 500. But if you if you get phoned home by one of their big accounts, right? Let's say you go out, you run a campaign, two to three people get flagged as spam or flag you as spam at a big account. I just got a call from a CRO. He was frantic. He's dealing with his IT department. They just had two, uh, three of their salespeople just lost access to their inbox. Literally, they have no, and they were doing an ABM approach, right? They're doing like mm-hmm. this targeted ABM, and it wasn't even a lot of volume they were sending. I mean, I, I actually looked at it for them, and it was like nothing. They were using SalesLoft, and they they got blocked. And what happened was that system, not only does it phone home there and say that this, this company is sending spam it actually phones home across the whole system. So now like email like died for them. Like they're like dead in the water. Now, obviously, like I said, you know, if so, you guys so, really want to so, the, so the, the email uh, provider, they blocked them, right? Yeah. So Google blocked them. They had to go do this thing. Now it's really, it's really yeah. screwed up. Their IT team was even con- concerned about it because what it says is this is the difference. What it says is it says, um, you know, you have to appeal. So sort of like when you get blocked from LinkedIn, you know, they mm-hmm. make you do that like appeal process that I've heard a lot of SDRs run into if they use automation tools, but they make you appeal it. But they also say, we do not want you to delete the account and re-add it. Now that that's the easy way out, right? You can always delete the account and re-add it. Now, remember, this is that person's email. This is their work email address. So if you go on there and you delete their work email address and you create a new one, your IT team just violated the terms and services of Gmail. So now Gmail is saying you're violating the terms and services. Like, and this was all, they were just emailing um, a large, and it was like maybe like Honeywell or like some big, you know, Microsoft Office user. They emailed them maybe two to three things that they were going to be at an Amazon show, right? Now, that's to me is like a, a good ABM tactic, right? They got three blocks one day. And then boom, they're they're now they have no they have no way to email that those two reps, their entire email was disabled. Now, what was really bad is they were getting HR benefits and certain things getting sent to them. All of that gets rejected. So they now miss wow. all the emails in their own company email. I mean, I think this is one of the worst things that could be going on right now. We're basically putting our best, you know, new prospecting sales reps, these these kind of like junior level sales reps into the wall, like fire. Like we're basically telling them like, go get your email account blocked by mm. big providers. Google and Microsoft are going to block you. Anyways, that's kind of like one of the worst kind of scenarios that can happen. I mean, it's pretty bad out there though, for this type of, you know, if you're doing this, the, you know, you got to go a little bit gray hat, I think is really the, you got to put a couple more domain names and start to use warm up networks. Okay. So we solved the email part. Like we make sure that it's uh, on a different domain, uh, if the IT department doesn't allow us to do that, then we need to go to agencies because you said that agencies, some of them uh, do yeah. that. So what, what are these agencies actually? What what are they providing or what's the service? I think what's happening is you're going to probably want to go work with some agencies on the, some of this outreach stuff. There's some really, really good um, – you know, there's there's really there's really some amazing companies that have been popping up. Uh, you know, I, I've I've been working with a lot of them. Actually, starting to work more with agencies. Um, but what what I've been noticing is there's some of these. You know, and I think it's sort of I even know a couple that are in the HubSpot you know partner ecosystem, but they're doing this sort of also. But what they're doing is they're setting up tools like SmartLead or Instantly or Uptix, sort of some of these tools that have. You know, they haven't gone for their, they call it the OAuth 2 approval, right? OAuth 2 is the security uh, measure that Google has to get your email product into their app store. They will not allow you to do any sort of email warm-up. They've blocked everybody who does it. You have to sign something saying you won't. None of these tools will actually do that, right? Now, remember, Google doesn't own email, right? Microsoft doesn't own email. They just have all of the users now, right? We've somehow let something as powerful and amazing as email, which is been around since the early 70s. Now we've essentially just because we wanted a good UI, we we or we wanted to get out of Microsoft Exchange, we've sort of given all of our email now mm-hmm. to Google and Microsoft. They own 100% of pretty much. I've never heard of a company that uses anything other than those two but, products. But this email warm up, like mm, I used it many times, but I, I I just have a feeling that these companies that like instantly or sales rocks or warm up or whatever mail shake there are so many of them and i used a bunch of them and i i have a feeling that 
actually it doesn't work well because they have a pool of uh, similar domains. So basically, just to explain to the audience how this whole warm up in a very, very simplified way is that they have a pool of, uh, I don't know, uh, one th- uh, like 10,000 users and these 10,000 users, they are emailing each other, right? And the system is, I don't know, opening the email, replying to the emails. And these are signals that um, there is activity on that uh, email. And you need to do that whenever there is a fresh domain. So if you have a fresh domain, like uh, you you want to make sure that, uh, you know, you don't blow up your company's domain, you buy a, I don't know, you have a .com and you buy a .net or you buy a CO or you buy a IO or whatever domain. And then you put it into this email uh, warm-up system and there are emails going back and forward. Now, what I understood, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that if you have only Gmail accounts there or if you have, I know, let's say you have a company, this is one story I heard, with, I don't know, 100 uh, reps, right? So that means that that domain, you know, with 100 reps, with 100 emails, let's say dominates that pool, right? So if you have uh, new domains, it's, it's not guaranteed that when you will send out to these new domains emails, that you will not get into the spam because they were not in this pool. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Yep. Is yeah, there's uh, technically there's, possible or it is, it is. I mean, you know, some of the things you're saying are are right, but what I'll tell you is what it does do is it does put you in a different spot because what it what it's doing is it's showing you remember the only person who really knows if you actually landed in primary inbox, right? Is the person on the other end, right? So that's the only person who knows and this gives you access to see that. So um, I just checked. I have a way, um, uh, a specific way to know how many warm-up emails are in these pools. And I mm-hmm. sometimes will audit the companies that I'm using. Uh, instantly now has about 150,000 in- inboxes in their pool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even and smartly, I think the right, they might have... And the IP, where their servers are matters because I know <laughs> I heard the story about some guys getting a call that... Uh, after the, you know, Ukraine-Russia uh, war, um, everybody flagged all the everybody. Russian servers, right? And these guys, I think it was warmup. Yeah, I think it was warmup.com or warmup email or something like that. They had servers in Russia. So then when the emails were bouncing and going around, the IT department got flagged like... Uh, hey, we are getting emails and opens from Russian servers. So I think that's another level of complexity to this uh, warm-ups, right? There's a lot, yeah. And then there's also the like GPT factor, like these, these warm-up communications start to become, you know, somebody puts in something in there that's like a little aggressive or something in the warm-up, like the conversation becomes aggressive. So it's worth uh, making all these efforts or we can just skip the email warm-up? You really, you really, you won't get, you won't have success unless you're doing email warm up on scalable. I mean, I'm talking like, you know, but I also think that you made some good points around ABM. I I don't think ABM, if you're targeting like a global 8,000, right? That's my background too from sales. Like I talk to people who are doing it and I'm like, you know what? I don't think you're going to get in. Like email for you is going to be too hard. Now I have had a couple of these ones recently that I've tested with. I've tested for a company that only targeted the ABM. They're like, we have to be in there with email. Now I got the responses, but the effort that I took to get there, to get through their spam filters, you know, these were like companies like Coca-Cola, you know, like big, big companies. It wasn't worth it in the long run. It cost them way too much money. And unfortunately their message didn't really hit home. Uh, that happens from time to time because they never, they weren't getting replies on their, I mean, they were using sales loft and, you know, they had a bunch of things wrong with it. It wasn't totally sales loft's fault, but it's like, you know, the, the problem with some of these providers outreach and sales loft is there's not much more than you can do on email other than plain text. And some of these providers are starting to make like, Oh, let's go get videos in there. And like yeah. stuff like that, it's like, come on, like that stuff isn't going to go through anywhere. 
right? And you even made that point around the open pixel or the open tracker. Yeah. You know, you're sending, if, first of all, if you don't change that and you make it on your own domain name, right? If you're using the sales off one, good luck because you will be in spam. Yeah, because the pixel is... Um, torched, right? So it, if you even get... the same that, with... Um, back in the days, I think now they fixed it, but... Uh, 2012, 2014, I was doing a lot of B2C with HubSpot in the triathlon yep. niche. And we were doing a lot of funnels. Yeah. So we were doing this, um, we were doing Facebook ads for webinars uh, for triathlon wannabes. Um, and then we would just nurture them with a bunch of, uh, back then it was this whole idea of lead nurturing through emails, you know, like the whole. Um, email marketing, not even uh, email outreach, right? And um, everybody was doing that. I remember that it was Aweber. Aweber were like even before MailChimp, like they were like the affiliate marketing dudes, right? And the servers were so spammed because of the this affiliate marketing emails. Uh, oh, yeah. Even with HubSpot that we were not getting, you know, uh, we were we were getting in the spam. So back then the solution was again to use this, um, uh, you know, SendGrid or to use any type of other servers to send out the email. So I think they fixed that, like at least HubSpot, I know they fixed that, but this is something very techy that people should remember that if, and what Jesse just said, if the pixels are from sales loft, the, the, the pixel that is injected in the email, the same as Aweber was injecting uh, uh, or, uh, or the servers were sending, sent out uh, from HubSpot or Aweber email, you, you, you are, <laughs> you know, whatever, good, whatever message you have, you are in this bucket of spammers. So you you cannot get out. Like if only if all the users of uh, Sales Love they send brilliant emails and all of them are you know delivered and effective. If not, you are in that bucket. This is what people need to understand. That as soon as you put that pixel in, you just uh, everything that they did wrong, you take it with you. <laughs> Am I right? Just you, you nailed it. Like it, it you're, you're pat, what the, it's very, it's all about the signature matching, right? You have a bunch of things that come through with your email. You have your headers and everything, and they know what you're using for a client. They see that you're using sales loft. I mean, it's, it's very easy to detect. I mean, the way, the analogy that I would give is like what a lot of these SDR teams are doing is they're running through TSA or they're running through like a, like an airline with a bunch of drugs and guns on them, right? Like that's what they're doing. Like it, it's really, they're just running through these systems and thinking that, oh, no, we could just come in here with 500 emails. And it's like you're not going to get through the TSA gates if you're, you know. I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's the same as, uh, you know, weight loss was a big thing in, like, in affiliate marketing. Weight loss, I think in 2012, was like fucking El Dorado of emails, right? Like everyone was doing on ClickBank some kind of offer and they were running all kind of uh, offers on on weight loss and those guys were you know fucking up all the servers possible <laughs> and then you come in with a legit product using hubspot or using mailchimp and you say oh but i have a very cool save the planet product right but and i'm still not getting delivered yeah of course because the other dudes were sending weight loss to you know, powders and whatever pills that scamming people. So obviously that you're, you know. Best way to do it is just don't spam people. Like send them stuff that you'd want, you know. I mean, look, your sales team, if they're doing it, um, you know, run some ads with it so it's more noticeable. Um, that's where the ABM part really is important. And some of the stuff that you talk about around accounts and how you should build those programs. I mean, you got you just got to be smart about it. You can't be doing... Like, if you would market spam, don't send it, right? Um, yeah, and I want to make it clear because many people ask us and about email and, and how to do sequences and so on. 
if you do ABM, please forget about you know tracking all these information like open rate, click through rate. Don't go, don't do massive stuff. And as Jesse said, run those ads. Now we have we have these these um, playbooks or these these tactics that we could do. Jesse, from your experience in an ABM motion, other mm -hmm. than email, other than LinkedIn, other than, you know, ads, what else can we add to the mix that could help us? I think the biggest thing that I've seen work for people is really the is really around that um, offer exchange. Where I think it gets interesting is where, you know, if you're going at a, you know, let's say you're going at like a maybe not your C level, but you're going like minus one on the C level or VP level mm. going at them with your sales development rep. Now, as much as I am all about like, you know, let's, let's get these new sales reps into the right spots. It, it's very unlikely that that sale, that like senior level leader at a, at a company of 2000 to 5,000 employees is going to really want to talk to somebody in your organization. Oh, that thank you for that. And I think that orchestration is really where it comes down to is, Spend more time there, spend less time worrying about like, you know, but they just don't want to talk to, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I know this is going to hurt. There's going to be a group of people that probably want to throw me out of the room for saying this, but they don't want to talk to your SDR anymore. Right. Like, but I'm not saying you don't need that person. I'm saying what you want to do is repurpose them and make them and have them enable the rest of the team coordinate that. Right. Because it's not a volume of activity, right? There's a finite number of companies you can get to. And if you can figure out who that audience is that's going to be more receptive, maybe you're setting up that executive meeting. Maybe you're setting it up with your technical counterpart so that that technical leader can get to your technical leader. Now, it's not about the volume there. And that's where I think people go wrong is they still think like, oh, yeah, get, you know, get little Johnny on the phone with my VP. I, I, I would that that's a meeting that you don't want them on. Right. Like, well, you maybe want them to organize it and learn, but listen to the gong recording later or something. But but like it, it's just I, I see this happening at so many companies. They think getting that that like very new sales rep on with the C-level leader is a good idea. It's not. You, you really aren't doing anybody any favors. You're put not only are you putting in that sales leader, that new sales, sorry, that new sales rep into a bad spot professionally. You're actually putting your company at like a lot, a lot of risks there, right? Like get people on. I don't want to talk to the lowest level person at any company, really. Um, there's just not a lot of value that you can get there, right? You want to talk to the more senior level people. It's almost a little bit like, yeah, I'm the, you know, you're the founder of the company or you're like the, it's just like a, I, I know like, you know, just understand like how the world works and the dynamics of this stuff. And we've just gone way too far on that. And I don't understand why companies still think, they want you to talk like I like, you know, when they reach out to you, it's just like you're like, this is really sad that this company hasn't figured this out. And then the other thing that's good and weird is this gifting thing. I think I think it's good to figure out a little bit of message feedback. But like some of these companies are going way overboard on just giving away shit. <laughs> just like what the hell's going on here? What are we doing? Why are we just giving away? Like there's no way that's going to scale if I'm spamming out gifts it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's almost like pushing the pressure right on your AE team. They're going to get a lot of these meetings and none of them are going to close. Right. Mm. So that's where the problem that I've been seeing a lot, those two issues of like getting the most junior JV SDR on with the VP or C level executive at a company of a thousand people or getting uh, way too crazy on the gifts. And, and I've taken some heat. I took a lot of heat. I, I kind of said, there was a C-level executive at a company and he he was talking about how great it was that he got a gift from an SDR. And I, I sort of took a huge beating on my LinkedIn profile over this, but I'll stand by what I said. I thought it was a waste of complete waste of, uh, of company resources. And, and I mean, I got, I had, oh my God, I must've had 30 people trying to like, you don't like new salespeople or, you know, whatever. And I was just like, listen, there's just no way that that model is going to work. And it's really the company. I, I don't blame the new sales development rep. I blame the company for putting him into that spot. Yeah, definitely. Peer-to-peer -peer, um, is what works. And even more than that, if you were in the position of the uh, recipient, 
like you had that title and you can help that uh, persona or, or that prospect with their job that's your number one uh, you know right tactic that you use for open rate and if you have sdrs use them to connect to individual contributors use them to do social selling use them to do all the uh, linkedin postings and uh, be active on the on the social media to do really good research right or act as facilitators between the uh, leaders right you can also do that like um, have that uh, sdr reach out to the cro so that you can put that cro in touch with your cro that's fine the point is that asking a call and asking the time of that cro and you being a just a recent grad let's be honest here like Really, let's be honest. Would you do that? Like, would you go? Like, it, it's like you're a recent grad, and and some students from high school email you about, I don't know, whatever. Would you meet with those high school kids? Really, like for professional services? Like, I j- just put yourself in their shoes. It's simple as that. So. In an ABM approach, that's that's <laughs> that's clear. So two things we learned here, and we go into the last part of our um, podcast where we discuss a bit about data and a bit about uh, tooling. But the two things we learned here is that one, fix your email. Technically speaking, I know it's boring. It's fucking boring. RevOps is boring, right? Nobody f- likes. RevOps. Everybody wants the shiny uh, marketing activities and so on. Like all these pixels and techy stuff for many of you is, is boring, right? But you need to understand it so that you can talk about the sexy stuff when you contact your, uh, your prospects. Because if you cannot connect, you cannot talk about the sexy stuff. Second thing is peer-to-peer, right? Like subject matter expertise, you need to connect with, uh, with the right um, persona, with the right sender. Now, we go into tooling and data. This is big because there are so many tools and popping up that we are over- overwhelmed, right? Like we don't know what works, what doesn't work. Like, and especially... If we come from a European uh, background where we have also GDPR, and we know we know that if we land on Zoom Info, Apollo, um, Sixth Sense, Terminus, all these guys, they focus on U.S. data, right? Like they they don't have good European data. Like like we we know that, right? Like for example, Terminus is not even pushing on uh, selling or Rollworks, or AdRoll, or all these ABM uh, uh, platforms, they don't target Europe because they know GDPR-wise they, they cannot do much, right? Zoom Info is trying, but mm, I think the churn rate there is, is, is quite high, especially this year. So what do we do? What do we do in a market where tooling becomes expensive, but in the same time, the quality is bad? Plus, we have GDPR and we have all these uh, regulations in European Union. So what do we do, Jesse, in this scenario? Where do we get our data from for ABM campaigns? Yeah, so I think really where you got to think about is like the best type of data that you should really, you know, you start out with like everybody's getting their data from LinkedIn, right? They're getting yeah. it from a B2B social platform. And what they mean by that is they're just, they're just monitoring LinkedIn. So, you know, and you got to understand which part of LinkedIn is public, which part of it's private. Obviously, if you're taking off sales navigator, you're, you're, you're going to get sued mm-hmm. and huge problem. Right. Um, and that's another thing that's going on is, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta be looking at the private data and the, oops, sorry. Um, you gotta be looking at like on, 
when you're looking at the private data, you got to be careful there, right? You can't take personal emails. You can't do all of that. What you want to do is sort of go with a, a system that would allow you to take it off a of public data source and allow you to um, take that data into your, 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 you know, your data warehouse. And then I think you should always validate like right away, right as you're sending an email or you're doing it that way. That's the other thing that I think people are doing. And what they're doing is they're buying these data contracts way, way too much at a time. They're buying the year up front, forgetting about it. Then they're going to go buy another year because they need one contact of another database. Like I've seen this happen ongoing basis, like really bad. This is a really bad practice. And some of these companies are so locked up to these data contracts. The other thing they're doing is they're not looking at the contract. The actual, what they're doing is they're not looking to see if what happens at the end of that contract, if they have to remove the data from their system. And as you know, in your profession, like, you know, you're a HubSpot top set, like most of these companies can't remove any of the data. They don't have the metadata management to actually remove where this data came from. So they're getting calls, the legal, like they're not working with anymore with the, with the zoom info. Uh, they're working with legal teams now, right. To get out of these contracts. And it's, it's like your legal team's going to lose every time because you've signed it and they're saying, you know, you can't get out of this contract unless you remove all the data. And that's where it becomes a little bit of a fishy problem. Right. So I think curating your own data is going to be the best. I think you need to understand what's public, what's not. If it's on Google, it's public. And that's a good way to look at it, right? Like Google obviously is scraping public websites and you should understand where that data is coming from and what their policies are. Now, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but that that's really what I would say is like focusing on live data, focusing on the person and having an ID for each person, and then using a unique identifier of like their LinkedIn profile as, as probably the most unique identifier that you could possibly have. Mm -hmm. And that's probably where it all starts. And then building away from building it on that, right? Like that's where um, I think you got to start the conversation. And I also think you need to stop just carte blanche, like up, updating all your contact list based on LinkedIn data or, or based on like a, like a major data provider and just like up enriching all your data with their data and then mm -hmm. not know terms and conditions of their contract. That's another thing that's happening a lot now. Okay. So, you would you would um, use these companies like uh, Apollo or Zoom Info to prospect and then email them, or you would rather use SalesNav and then you know chunk all these providers or what? What's the best? Uh, and also mm, cost being cost conscious, right? Yeah, I think what you got to do is look at your cost per contact, right? Now, there's a couple of things you want to look at in, inside. Cost of per it. contact. That's that's something yeah. that I don't think someone, anybody looks at cost per contact. And you got to look at like what's valuable in the contact. So the first thing you could say is valuable is like all of the like data that would be on a social network, like a LinkedIn, right? Like think about it, the companies they've worked at, all of that. That's like value number one, right? That record. Then the second part of that record that's valuable is their B2B their email address. Now, how are they getting that? That's another thing. Like if they're getting it through a GDPR standard way, which is basically you're allowed to validate emails, right? You just can't store it. You sort of have to do it live, like right when you're about ready to send. That's, uh, that's okay. So you, you're not allowed to put it in uh, in uh, HubSpot. You just need to send it via, via Apollo. You want to enrich it right before you're, you want to do the validation right before you send it. And you want to find it during like, there's certain like more GDPR compliant solutions out there that so will help us out with some some solutions like who should we avoid in in europe gdpr wise like you did all the research so yeah so i'm careful because like all these data providers change their stuff all the time what mm -hmm. i would avoid though is i would avoid i would start asking the right questions like how do you guys store your data like are you getting it this way are you getting it this do you have a database okay well you can't use that data in gdpr right you know how are you and then and then the ones that have like personal emails like well okay you, you can't store that data like are you like where you know there's certain and then that's a gray area as it is right you got to know where that data came from so i think really making data your i mean there's a lot there's too many factors there and i would hate to call anybody out that i didn't have the exact like latest up-to-date stuff but it's really i think the world is going to go towards like a um, an API driven 
approach, right? And that's mm. where they should be. Where right before I'm about ready to send to that contact, I'm going to pull it from the API and make sure that I've got the most accurate information now and all that, right? It also is going to help for deliverability um, and all of that, right? We need to make well, sure that we're doing this work with the API. I don't get it. Yeah, so you know, if you're if you're ready to send to a company like uh, GE and you know this person works there because you've got Google, you know, you've Googled the LinkedIn, um, you know, the information on LinkedIn. Now you're going to go pull the data. You're going to have them go run through a verification process of five or six permutations of the email, right? Like they're going to go try like first name, last name, at company, mm-hmm. and they're going to try it, and you're going to get like a, a pretty good qualification that you're like. Yeah, we're we're ninety nine percent sure this is a this is the right email address. Now we can actually send to that, and that's even GDPR compliant, right? I'm not a lawyer. I don't want to give out like legal advice here. Oh, but- okay, so they come to your website from the IP of GE, and then based on that, you um- you'll start. These companies come into your website, and then you're going to go say, like, all right, who are the personas at that company? Maybe I'm going to go okay, look it up. It, on- it. So because you know- were on your website, you're let's say you're more. Um- I don't know what was the right word, but um, not compliant. But um, there is a reason. There is a reason um, how you call it in GDPR, like a legitimate interest, right? That you can uh, email them because they came to your website, and then okay, got it, got it. Okay, so so when it comes to when it comes to um, data and how we enrich, because this is another topic that um, I get all the time, like uh, people want to enrich their their data. And there is two type of data enrichment. One is the contact and one is the company. The company, I suppose there is no, no challenges there in terms of legal and compliance part, like whatever data we find from whatever providers, we can enrich companies, right? But the issue is with the contacts, right? So, uh, what are and some data too, right? Like, like there's another level of company data where, you know, if you're pulling out, like, let's say you're pulling out a company data, what I've, what I've, you know, the, the classic sources you'll want to look at is like LinkedIn. You want to see that information. You also want to see Crunchbase, right? Like mm-hmm. there's like a lot of good information there, right? That's all public data, right? So you're allowed to, you're allowed to like enrich your data with that if you know how to get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, in understanding those sources, then there's a lot of other like metrics you might want to pull out. Like if it's their stock stuff and they're there, or I think another area that a lot of companies miss firmographic data is like website traffic and sort of technology, technographics, mm-hmm. things like that are really important, but building that robust sort of how often are we going to upload it? Like if we're targeting the global 8,000, we want to make sure that that list is pretty active and pretty accurate, right? We want to make sure that we're pulling in funding rounds. We want to make sure that we're pulling in, you know, hey, if they acquire a company, we want to make sure we know that information. I think that stuff is really critical and having RevOps teams that understand it is a really important factor. So, and, and what's your take on intent data? Because I, th- I, I find that um, many people like, um, there is a hate and love relationship with intent data, right? Like a lot of the data is crap and then it's just BS, uh, especially when it when we talk about uh, topic intent, right? What's zooming for use? Right? Like they just they just buy a lot of data from different publishers. And ju- just to explain to, to the audience. So there is two type, right? Like is the keyword, um, like the search intent and the topic intent. Uh, Zoom Info uses the topic intent and Sixth Sense uses the search. The difference is that uh, topic intent, the source of data are publishers. So Zoom Info is monitoring and getting all these data from different publishers like Bloomberg, Entrepreneur.com, whatever. There are a bunch of them. And um, they know from which IP these um, articles are accessed from. And they categorize the topics um, into different, you know, um, uh, the publishers in different topics, the articles in different topics. So let's say you have digital transformation. So if somebody from GE goes on Bloomberg, uh, some article on Bloomberg, and they read about digital transformation, they are in this topic, right? In this intent. Now, 
what they do is that they monitor when the consumption of such, uh, let's say, articles or such topics spikes. So whenever someone from G reads, I don't know, not, not one person, but I don't know, 50 people, they read about the di digital transformation, then there is a spike, there is a signal, and then Zoom Info tells you, okay, these folks are in a buying intent. They're going to buy. They're going to buy digital transformation uh, products, right? So you, sales rep, SDR, call them, email them, talk about digital transformation. Or marketing people make some ads and do ads on digital transformation. Now, Sixth Sense does the same thing, but with keywords, right? So there are different, uh, you know, keyword intent. Google Ads uh, taught us this many years ago, like uh, the informational intent or you have the commercial intent. Your commercial intent buy, I don't know, a Samsung uh, Galaxy uh, 11, whatever, or what is the best phone? There are different intents, right? Um, right. They will signal the sales reps um, what's the intent of these accounts. It's a lot of black magic, like where do they get this data from? Like how does Sixth Sense know has this data of, you know, what people are searching on Google, it's black magic. But there are some assumptions, and these assumptions are, for example, Chrome extensions. Because if you have Chrome extensions, they can get this type of data. Like, you could know what people are searching for, because you're on Google, it's pretty easy. But these are assumptions. We don't know, don't quote us on that, right? So now you have all this intent and people are, some people are really hyped about this because, and you need to pay a bunch of money. Like it's, it's quite expensive, like 60K a year, six cents and uh, I don't know, 24, 30K for Zoom Info for a year to get real time topic uh, intent, right? Um, now it, you, you, you make your own judgments if this is, Working is not working. You need to test it. It depends, right? Like we used in my company for two years, topping intent. We churned from Zoom Info in August. Happily churned custom of Zoom Info. Um, and I say that with all the responsibility. Jesse, tell us, what do you think about topic intent? What's your take on... Sure. Yeah. So the only stuff I really trusted when I was a rep, you can say whatever. Yeah. So the only stuff that I really trusted when I was a rep was the stuff that I knew where it was coming from. So I, if they said something was like, you know, digital transformation, like example is, is such a broad term, right? So I, I get it. Somebody's searching. I mean, they can run like a fake ad, right? Like, it's like a lot of the times that's what they're doing. A lot of these companies are doing, they'll run like a fake ad on something and you'll go click on the ad and then the ad will take you to some random page and see how and I mean, they you know, make, that's uh, Jesse, they do some subtopics. Uh, digital transformation was just a broad right. example. Like they do, for example, yeah. I don't know that who is interested in HubSpot, right? Here's the half full. Uh, so I'll tell you what is very accurate, you know, and obviously from a lead magic perspective, a lot of the times, if you look at like, so lead magic, we compete against like Clearbit reveal, uh, you know, and some of the other, I think zoom has a zoom info has one, but the one where we're basically figuring out who, what companies are on your website mm. and we're not giving their name, those ones you can trust that they're on your website, the companies themselves. And I know everyone's like, well, they don't have my IP address. They don't have the, you know, don't worry about it. They're going to find out who you are really. Um, you, you send a lot of stuff through your browser that you don't, you're not aware of. So you, you are going to figure that out. We are going to figure that out. Now, the stuff that I don't like as much is I'm not a fan of like the third party intent data stuff because you just don't know how it got there. You could be chasing something you shouldn't be chasing. Somebody could have just gotten into that list. Who knows? Maybe they got the wrong company, right? They use a lot of these first party data strategies to do it. But if somebody's on your website and they're not on, um, you know, in another area where a lot of people are getting their data from is, um, <clears throat> LinkedIn. So you could see who's on your website from LinkedIn, right? There's a lot of data there. You can use like lead magic to figure out who's on your, 
your website. And if you know they're on your website, there's a much higher chance you should build your own sort of, I just, I mean, I guess the middle would be like the G2 crowds, right? If they're searching for like two or three of your competitors, but build a couple competitive pages on your website, you'll get the same traffic. I mean, do you really need to go buy? I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. If I don't know where the intent is coming from, if it's not on my website, I'm not a fan of it. Um, that's my, that's my general <coughs> approach. I, I just don't want to go shift strategy. I mean, I, I'll use it maybe as like a back end topic, like the topic ones. I'm just like sort of over them. Right. Like I, I don't really see, look, even, even us, we even like admittedly, we even struggle to get people to follow up on the first party intent data. And what I mean by first party, this is people who are on your website. These are companies that are visiting your website, I will show someone that, hey, this company has been on your website 10 times. Go have your sales team reach out to them and they, they can hardly execute on that. So I, I think it really comes down to what can we actually execute on and what can we actually do? Like, I think running ads is a better way to do it. I don't think you want to have your whole team mobilized against a third party topic intent data. I think that's a lot of like pretty, like that's a low bar entry bar. How about just getting everybody out of bed and having them make phone calls and send emails? You know, like that's, that's like the, the hard part right now. Like I think people are overcomplicating it. They'll get all this intent data. They'll blow their budget on all this stuff. And also look around like the, the low cost providers, like a lot of these SaaS companies get copied and you know, th th there's a lot of solutions out there that aren't as expensive as like the big ones. Like if you're about ready to spend a six figures on like a platform play, you know, I don't think you're going to go replace HubSpot marketing. I think there's a lot of stuff in there, right? But, you know, you're not going to go replace the HubSpot stack just with one yeah, yeah, vendor. Yeah. But, like, you're looking at, like, one of these, like, sub vendors and you're already at, like, a they want to charge you six figures on that. Like, go out and explore the market and look for vendors that are about half the price or even, like, one quarter of the price and, and truly try to tell yourself how much different how much different is the data? Because I'll tell you, we just, we test this stuff all the time and we're just like, man, if people just knew, like, it's not even that much different Buy your data, like by the API, you know, if you're getting visitor identification data, like we sell it, like we're selling it month to month and it's in a consumption model, mm. you know, you don't need an annual contract. Like, stay away from that stuff. Like it's where these companies get into a lot of trouble is they get like six or seven of these like annualized crazy contracts and they, and, and they go out and they talk to the sales team and they do these long audits. Like, you know, I just, I cringe. I mean, I look at these companies and they start the year out so far behind because they've completely exhausted their budget on the MarTech stack. And really what they needed was to hire firms like yours to fix their rev ops problems. Right. Like, this is where I think a lot of companies and to build a cohesive strategy, start investing your money more in the services side and get some experts in there. You're not, you're not going to be able to get the talent that's out there. There's a lot of people out there that run these sort of agencies and, 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 you know, platinum partners of HubSpot and, and other sort of like places like spend your money there, spend it on the expertise instead of these tools. And you're going to do a lot better. You're going to learn something and you're going to continually learn. I mean, the, the top people in the space, they're not working at the companies in terms of like a lot of these really, really, really knowledgeable people that are going across companies. They're seeing a lot of trends at like five or six companies. And they're saying, I see this trend at every one of these companies. Mm -hmm. Start hiring in the expertise, start hiring people and, and start hiring services companies and, and start like really working with the experts in these platforms and the ones who see the new stuff coming out and build relationships with them and where they don't hate you, right? Like that's another problem, right? You start working with clients as an agency and you can start to really have some clients that you're like, man, I wish these people would just churn like faster. <laughs> you know, we all know that game and, um, you know, work with them, but like value their expertise. And when they have, when they have people that they bring in that are experts, you'll know right away. It'll be very obvious. Like there's certain people that are going to, and I think you got to value that expertise. You're not going to solve it. Everyone's like, well, what's the tool? What's the SAS? What's the whatever? I don't know if it's about that anymore. I think it's going to, you're going to see that it's going to race to the bottom. And you, you know, that's why you're seeing all this churn. I mean, you know, Apollo's data 
versus Zoom info data, like $49 a month versus yeah, yeah, 20 that's grand a, a year. I mean, it's going to be a hard, I don't care how good your team is or your legal team is or whatever, they're going to find a way to get out of that contract. And, you know, I think some of these businesses are going to have to really reevaluate their market motion. Um, probably starts with getting rid of a lot of these sales development reps and transitioning their skills to marketing. Yeah. So, so just to wrap it up um, on the intent part, be careful with the data. Uh, as Jesse said, try to make your own data, right? Like your first, like that first party intent data, right? Which They're is on your website. Yeah, which is, which is content consumption, right? Like, and to have content consumption, you need to make good content, right? And this will there help you, you know, with outreach, it will help you with building that, um, that uh, first party intent data. I think it's better to have um, all these articles read on your website by uh, companies that you can identify through reverse IP and uh, then on Bloomberg reading about digital transformation. Of course, you're not Bloomberg. You will not be this media house and so on. But in your small audience, in your small you know, world, I think um, getting a little bit from the from that big pie it's it's enough you know and um, having having that said um, I want to thank you Jesse for this uh, great conversation we, we we were a little bit techy in this episode but I think is really really useful because we learned about um, the email mark the email outreach what to avoid we learned a lot about uh, the intent about the data and um, what to do next when it comes to um, you know it's it's another puzzle in the in the big GTM playbook it's not the full GTM but I think uh, the uh, the listeners can um, get this information get other information that they get from winning by design that they get from uh, Chris Walker and many many other podcasts you know we are uh, just giving back to the community so Jesse tell us a bit how can all these listeners uh, reach out to you what communities are you running what's what's some interesting things that you're doing so uh, yeah. they can benefit even more from the content that you yeah run. so I uh, I run um, well if you want to get it to me on LinkedIn, be great to have you there. I do run a group. It's a private group. Um, you know, some people join uh, or figure out a way into there. I don't obviously, it's kind of like one of those, if you know, you know, kind of things. So you have to find it. I can't tell you where it is. You'll find it if you're, if you figure it out. Right. Like, so, you know, DM me on LinkedIn. I'm usually pretty accessible. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm going to get on a call with you or anything like that. I want to be very careful there. I get a lot of these like, Hey, you want to get on a call? You want to get on a I just not looking for call any more calls. My calendar is full, but definitely send me a message. I'll respond asynchronously and, uh, you know, hit me on LinkedIn or leadmagic.io. but really looking forward to, uh, getting this episode out there. I think you, by the way, I think you bring a ton to the community and HubSpot and, and all of just everything you do with ABM and RevOps. So it was really, it was a pleasure to, to talk to you today and I uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks, Messi. Thanks a lot. All the best. Take it easy.